0: Okay, so we come to Revelation chapter 7. Last week we studied the opening of the first six seals of the scroll that Jesus took from the hand of Him who sits on the throne. Jesus is the only one that was found worthy in heaven to take the scroll and to open the seals. And as we studied last week, The six seals, they they revealed the beginning of trouble, the beginning of the great tribulation, which was about to come upon the earth. Um, Those seals revealed to us, we studied a false messiah coming to the earth, represented symbolically in chapter six by the one riding on the white horse who goes out to conquer. There was a time of famine that will come upon the earth where not much food to go around. All of this, again, was contained within the information that we studied last week in regards to the six seals that have been opened thus far. Uh, people will start to kill one another, represented symbolically by the one ri- riding the fiery red horse. Then we also saw in chapter six that death and the grave will begin to conquer many people. About 25% of the earth's Earth's population will be killed during this period of time. People will be killing each other left and right. And others will be dying of starvation. And we also saw where people will at that time be uh, begin to be eaten by wild animals. Why is all this taking place? Well, the tribulation has started. The, again, war, peace has been taken off of the earth at this point. Uh, war has happened. Famine has started. Uh, if you take all the food away from the animals, you go kill all the food the bears eat, they're gonna come down and start to look for food and lions and things like that, you know. So it's just describing a a very horrific time, a time that we don't wanna be there and a time where I don't believe we are gonna be there as born-again Christians. But again, the Great Tribulation, no place we wanna be. And in chapter seven, verse one, he says, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So what we see happening here is something is being held back or restricted. Um, In this case, it's angels that are doing the restricting. Now, if you want a picture of this in physical terms, Picture you've got your back up against something, your arms are spread out, and you're using your physical strength to hold back something, right? This is what the angels are doing here. Now, I want to show you something from the Old Testament, from the book of Zechariah. So go ahead and mark this page and find the Old Testament book of Zechariah. While you're turning, finding Zechariah chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1 of Revelation chapter 7. And after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Okay. Then in Zechariah chapter 6, Verse 1. Says, then I turned and raised my eyes and look, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. So what's happening here is that Zechariah is also receiving an end time vision. Just like we're studying with the Apostle John, he gets this vision from Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um John in Revelation chapter six, we saw he described four horses, and Zechariah here will describe four chariots. So Zechariah will also use the same colors in his description that we saw John use of the four horsemen in his vision. Okay. Um, verse two here continues, with the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth chariot, dapple horses. Strong seeds. I want to show you something. This is a picture of a dappled horse. That's what a a dappled horse looks like today. It's that spotted horse. They also call him flea-bitten. You know, but that's what a dappled horse will look like. Now, John, of course, said that he saw in his vision a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and the fourth one he described as a pale horse, which represented death and the grave. So the visions of Zechariah and John are not exactly alike, but very similar, and both of these visions are prophesying of a time in the future, the end times. And in verse four, then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. Now, the reason that I brought you to this passage of scripture here in Zechariah is to point out to you that Zechariah was told by the angels of the Lord what these four chariots represented—they represented four spirits of heaven. Now, it's very important to note here that that word "spirits" there in verse five is the Hebrew word ruach, okay, ruach, and it's a word that is translated as wind, like the wind that blows, right? And verse five also says that these four winds. Of heaven go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth okay so back in Revelation chapter 7 and you can flip back there with all of that in mind we see in verse 1 of Revelation 7 angels at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth on the sea or on any tree so again, the wind that John sees here and that Zechariah heard about from the angel, these winds are being held back for a reason right now, right? Okay, so these horsemen that we've studied about, they're on their way. We studied last week in chapter 6. These horsemen are, are going out as the seals are being opened it's being described to us in this vision, what's taking place. These horses are are ready to go out. They're ready to do their destruction on the earth. All of that that we studied last week and all of that that I mentioned here this morning, the famine, taking peace from the earth, death, people killing one another, and all that destruction's about to, to take place. But here we see that for at least at least momentarily, they're being held back by angels. And the reason that they're being held back, the reason that this destruction is not yet going to come upon the earth here, is because in verse 2 it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. So angels are holding back the destruction of the earth, and then while they're doing this, another angel appear, appears having the seal of the living God. Now, for those of you that weren't here, you know, of course, we've already gone through Revelation and we've seen that that the church is no longer on the earth. How do we know this? Well, it's represented within the fact that in the first three chapters of Revelation, it's all about the church, the church, the church, the church. Jesus speaks to the seven churches. He says, you know, basically, if I were to summarize it, get right or get left, change the way you're living. I'm coming quickly. The first three chapters of Revelation, the church is mentioned 19 times. After that, the next thing that happens, John in chapter four is taken in this, in this vision into heaven. Okay, and now that the scene has shifted. No longer do we hear about the church in Revelation again until we get all the way till the end of the book of Revelation. And at that point, we'll hear about the church again. Who is the church? the body of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, people that have come to faith in him. So the church is off the earth. John is seeing now the vision of heaven. We get into chapter five and chapter six, especially chapter six, we see what's about to take place. All of it is described in the opening of these seals that only Jesus was worthy to open, okay? So verse two again, then I saw another angel Ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Again, picture the scene. These horsemen are ready to go out. This destruction is ready to come upon the earth. This angel says, hey, wait a minute. Something I have to do. Okay, And he has the seal of the living God. He says in verse three, do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees till or until, right? We have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Hmm, so there are people on the earth that God does not want to be harmed during this great tribulation period. And they are going to receive the seal of God on their forehead. They will live to go through the great tribulation. The church is in here, it's been raptured. Okay, But there are these people that will be sealed and will go through this period of time. Verse 4, and I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So it's very plain, very clear here that these people are Jews. 144,000 of them, 144,000 Jews are sealed just before all of this tribulation comes upon the earth. The angel says, hey, wait a minute. All you horses, you're all going out to bring this destruction. Hold back because we got to do this first. We got to seal these people, okay? But they will live through the great tribulation. Now, verse 5 um, will give us the names, verse five through eight here, will give us the names of the tribes of Israel and the numbers of them sealed from each tribe. Now, I'm not gonna comment on any of these verses this morning. I'm not gonna comment on any of these tribes, but let's go ahead and read them. So it's 144,000 of them. Here's how the breakdown goes. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi 12,000 were sealed and five golden rings. That's what I felt like I'm doing here, right? Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So that tells us, again, very plainly, these are Jews. These are the tribes that they came from. None of us here are from any of those tribes, Okay. No one on the earth today is from any of those tribes. There's a religion that says they're that 144,000, okay, the Jehovah Witness. But what happened when they got bigger than 144,000, they had a problem. You know, there's more Jehovah Witnesses than that. So they have that problem, but it's very clear who these are. These are Jews being sealed right before all of this comes upon the earth, the tribulation. Verse nine, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude Which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. Okay, now this isn't the 144,000 that are on the earth. These are people that are in this vision that John is having of heaven. Okay, again, let's read verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, where were they? They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Okay, We've already gotten a picture of this as we've studied chapter 5 and chapter 6, the throne and the Lamb. We've looked at heaven. We've looked at the beauty of it and all of that kind of stuff, right? But they're clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, okay? So verses four through nine, again, talk about the 144,000 Jews sealed for God that will go through the tribulation. Then verses nine and 10 describe a very large group of people in heaven that are not only Jews, but rather are described as being from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, okay? So these are people already there in heaven that are believers in Jesus Christ, that have come to faith in Him, and they've come out of every nation, every tribe, every people group, every tongue, every language, right? They're no longer on the earth in this vision, Okay? These are the born again people that overcame the world. These are the born again people that stayed the course. Okay, Remember, as we studied the, the seven churches, Jesus gave warning and gave rebuke and gave encouragement to each one of these churches. The Laodicean church was that lukewarm church, the ones that were neither hot nor cold, right? But there was that church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, people that lived out love. And he said, he promised them they would not go through that tribulation. I'll talk about that again here in just a little bit. But here, picture this scene. All these people with palm branches. What does that remind you of, right? Remember when Jesus triumphantly was entering into Jerusalem and they began to wave palm branches and they began to praise him, right? What are they doing? Verse 10 tells us they are crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they're praising the Lord, right? He is worthy of all praise. He purchased them with His blood. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he's worthy of praise. And this salvation has come to fruition. And the earth is about, everything's changing now on this earth. So again, I'm always encouraging You all don't trust in the things of this world. Everything that we know and as we see it now is fading away and will pass away and everything will change. God wants our focus. The Lord wants our focus to be on him. He wants us to be servants of his. So we get this revelation, this book in our Bibles as a gift from God to say, hey, here's what it's going to be like. This is what the future is. This is the end times. Now that you know this, how should you live, right? All the angels stood, verse 11 says, all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Amen. So what we're seeing here is that in heaven everyone is in agreement in worshiping the lord right today in the body of christ unfortunately there's many disputes over various things disputes over doctrine territorial wars. You can't have your church here. My church is here. You can't do this. You can't do that. All of that kind of stuff, right? Pastors staking their claim to geographical locations, churches splitting over the most foolish things. Many people that are causing this type of uh, of division, right, in the world were told in scriptures to uh, avoid them. But here in heaven, it's not like that. Here in heaven, there is agreement and everybody is agreeing, agreeing in worshiping the lamb, worshiping our Lord God, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Verse 13, then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? So the elder here in heaven is asking John who he thinks these people are. In verse 14, John says, and I said to him, sir, you know, right? Pause right there because I believe that when John says, sir, you know, here in verse 14, what he's kind of just saying is, I don't know, you tell me, right? Now, look, I, I wanna again just pause right here just to make something clear, right? When it comes to my teaching you the Bible, and that is this, right? There are many different viewpoints of the, of the book of Revelation. Last week, for example, we talked about the four different ways that people approach Revelation and, and take a look at it, right? Many people that are scholars and great theologians have written commentaries and books on all of this, and I personally do not classify myself in, in any such category, I am the very least of all the people. I feel that it is worthy to teach the word of God. I do what I do by faith. I take a very simplistic look at the scriptures. I read them myself. I sit down and I study them. That's why I always encourage others. It's very simple to do, to just sit down and read the Bible, study the Bible, pray, say, Lord, you show me what you want me to know in this. That's all I do right? And in the eyes of others, in the eyes of many out there, I'm sure I don't measure up, measure up, right? But I'm good with all that, right? I'm at peace in Christ, right? I rest content in the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. And all that I know and any knowledge that that I ever attain to or ever will attain to, right? I consider it as dung, like Paul says, right? Why? Because It's really just all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. So I tell you all of this, what I'm saying right now, I tell it to you for two reasons. For one, there are many that will disagree with the way that I'm presenting the book of Revelation to you this morning. Right. And over the past several weeks, I take a what you would call a futurist view of the book of Revelation, meaning that this stuff hasn't happened yet and it's going to happen in the future. But there are others that don't have that viewpoint. There are others that will say a lot of this took place already in the past. I can't see it. I can't see all of these things that are happening, this cataclysmic events and all of this stuff. I don't see it that way, right? And But they will say that I'm way off base with the way I present it, right? But I will simply press on toward the goal for the prize of my upward call in Christ Jesus, right? I'm more more than sure that I have not arrived and I'm also more than sure that as I continue to read the word of God, continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, that all the way at the end of my life, I still won't be able to say, I know it all or I know very much at all, right? But the second reason that I bring all of that up to you is to simply tell you this, study the word of God for yourself, right? Never upon never upon never Take the word of any man when it comes to the word of the Lord. We're not supposed to do that. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the Bible says, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. He is your personal God, and we are to seek him, and we are to desire to grow in the knowledge of him. Yes, God places in the body people like me, in the body of Christ, that will do this that will sit down and teach the word of God. But I will be remiss if I say, hey, this is what I say, just follow it, just do what I say, right? Instead, I want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, people that will study the Bible for themselves and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ for themselves and understand God's will for their life personally, right? We are to be diligent to present ourselves approved, to God. It says in 2 Timothy, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So again, I kind of went on a rabbit trail here, but I wanted to make that point clear because as I'm studying this, I realize that there are different commentaries and there are people that say, uh, there, there isn't, no, the church isn't raptured yet. The church is going to go through the tribulation. Some say, oh no, the church is gonna be taken out halfway through the tribulation. Some say, oh no, the church is gonna go all the way through the tribulation. All of this. I study the word of God, I don't see it. I teach it in the way that I'm teaching it to you. But I just wanna be fair and I just wanna be open and say, study it for yourself and seek the, the Lord for yourself on it, right? So verse 14, and I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So earlier I said that these people that John sees are the people that have been born again, died in Christ, and or were raptured before the great tribulation. Again, most commentaries, most theologians say that these are Gentiles that are saved during the Great Tribulation. So what I said earlier in regards to who these people are contradicts those commentaries, right? Again, am I wrong and others are right? or others wrong and I'm right? I have no problem at all saying that may be the case right so again don't take my word for who these people are study it for yourself so so then what would i say um well let me let me say this as i study this on my own what it all revolves around in this verse here those words in verse 14 that says come out of as the King James says, came out of. You see, the Greek words out of there is the Greek word ek. And this is a word very easily translated away from. And if you remember, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus promised that those who keep His commandment to persevere, this is Revelation 3.10, Jesus says that those who, who keep His commandment to persevere That he will keep them from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. The great tribulation. Jesus promised. If you keep his commandments, he'll keep you from that. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul states that Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. Okay? Okay? So I believe that the multitude before the throne of God, waving the palm branches, the ones with the palm branches in their hands, at least they're praising God. They're wearing white robes that were washed in the blood of Jesus. These people are the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, people from every tribe and tongue that were born again while on the earth and died in Christ or were raptured at the end of the age. They were taken away from the great tribulation. They didn't go through it. They were taken out of it, right? They they were raptured. They were pulled away from it before it all started to unfold. Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them so we will one day sit down with Jesus before the throne of God and we will be servants of God day and night now you know how awesome it will this will be Jesus will dwell among us and we will see him face to face and everything about who we are will be different nothing will be the same verse 16 says they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. So we will be living in perfect conditions. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more sunburns, no more heat strokes and such. Verse 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away Every tear from their eyes. So, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who took away our sin, the one that stood in our place, he will shepherd us. And this reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. And if you haven't looked at the 23rd Psalm in a while, let's go ahead and turn there. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And again, I'm going to read verse 17. Of Revelation 7, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to live in fountains of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, will shepherd us in heaven. He will oversee us. Verse 1 of Psalm 23, a psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd i shall not want so as we read this psalm here first of all it is written by david and he's not speaking of a time in the future when the lord is our shepherd right he's talking about the here and now in his life right while david was on the earth he's saying the lord is my shepherd You see, in Revelation, we're discussing a time in the future, a time yet to come. More specifically, in chapter 7, we are looking at a time when we will be in heaven with the Lord, and He will at that time be our shepherd. But the thing is, though, is He is also our shepherd now. And this is what Psalm 23 expresses to us. David says here, I shall not want. This means that we shall not lack or we shall not have a need. You see, the Lord supplies all of our needs by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, we once lacked when we were without Christ. But with Christ, we have all that we need. We are complete in Christ. Verse two says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, if we take verse one there, and we say, hey, the word of God says that I shall not want or lack. Therefore, I'm always going to have all the money and all the things that I need. Well, then we have, we have to take verse two here then. If we take verse one and we say that, well, then we have to take verse two here and say, well, we're always going to be just lying down by green pastures. And we're always just going to be walking alongside still waters. See, if we're going to take verse one out of that context and say, I've got all the money I need. I got all the things I need and I name it and I claim it. And in Jesus Christ, I have it. Well, then go lay down by green pastures for the rest of your life and go find a still lake somewhere and walk alongside of it for the rest of your life. You see, this doesn't apply to our carnal life. This applies to our souls. Verse three tells us he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, it's the condition of our souls that Jesus shepherds. And it's the condition of our souls that really matters, who we are internally, right? As you've often heard me say, the Lord is the shepherd of our souls. First Peter 2.25 says, we were like sheep going astray, but now we have returned to the shepherd." And the overseer of our souls. You see, there's a people without Christ who don't don't know that internal rest, who don't know the peace that the Lord brings them. And there's a people with Christ who fix their eyes on Christ and not on the things of this world, and they trust in the Lord and they realize He is the shepherd and the overseer of my soul. Okay? That's what Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And what he cares about is, as verse three says there, that we walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, righteousness is our goal. Internal peace is our aim, right? Too much focus today, though, in the body of Christ has been placed on external things. We desire financial peace more than we desire righteousness. We have seminars in our churches about financial peace and not seminars in our churches about righteousness and about the condition of our souls and holiness and walking with the Lord, right? You see, for now we're walking through a temporary place and it's a dark place, a place where there is sickness, a place where there is death, a place where there is disease, and verse four says, yea though, I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David says, it's hard here. We're walking through a valley of the shadow of death, right? Death is a shadow always, fo- always following us and it affects our lives here on this earth. But our comfort is in the Lord. Okay? But if we're chasing after the things of this world, right, we'll only find anxiety. We'll only find unrest, right? The more, the, the less simplistic we make our lives, the more complicated and, you know, anxieties we have, you know? But God wants us not trusting in the things of this world, not looking unto them, right? The Lord wants our souls resting in Him. Look, look what is described here in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, picture that in your souls. We're just resting in the Lord. Okay? All right, we walk through this life with the Lord as the shepherd and the overseer of our souls and we find great comfort, we find great rest, we find great peace when we do. We have joy and we have all we need in the presence of our enemies and ultimately we have victory over death and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And back in Revelation chapter 7, when that day comes, when we're off of this earth and we're in heaven and we're praising the Lord and He is sitting with us, the Lamb of God will shepherd us and will lead us, as verse 17 of Revelation 7 says, to living fountains of water, right? Now it's beside still waters as He shepherds us here, but then it'll be fountains of living water, right? It's good here on the earth with the Lord, as our shepherd, but it's far better there. Here we do have times of pain, times of suffering, times of great loss, times of sickness, times that cause great sadness, but there in heaven, verse 17 of Revelation 7 tells us that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So the Lord is our shepherd. And he's purchased us by his blood. He came to save people from every tribe, every race, every tongue, right? Who Whosoever will can come to the Lord. He also has a plan for his people, Israel. And he's made a way for all the people of the world to be in this great place someday, heaven, okay? And that place We really know so little about at this point in time. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. And this, this time of great tribulation that we're seeing in Revelation is coming upon the earth. But the Lord is our shepherd. We have pain and heartache and sickness, like I said, all these things here, but the Lord is the shepherd of our souls and we are to find our rest and our peace in Him. So I encourage you again, study the Word of God for yourself. Let it speak to you, let it grow you day by day in the knowledge of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Even if you can just take five minutes every morning or every night just to, to immerse yourself in the word of God. Again, I have no shame in saying at all that there's so little that I know. And if I live to study the Bible for the next 40 years, then I hope that at that time, I'll still be able to say humbly, I still know so little, right? Because I just want to rest in the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. He's the overseer of my soul. He's the one who supplies all I need today. He shows me all things that he wants me to see. I want to trust in him day by day, right? And someday we will ever be with the Lord and we will be sitting with the Lamb of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can have to to come together like this and be encouraged in your word. To be exhorted to grow in the knowledge of you. To surrender more of our lives to you, Lord. As you look upon our hearts, Lord, you know each one of us here. In a very deep and personal way, you see what we cannot see about each other. And I pray, Lord, that, that we will have a desire within us to just continue Lord, to to persevere, to stay the course, Lord, to not be distracted by the things of this world, to not let the weight of this world, Lord. It's so easy, Lord, to put your eyes on money. It's so easy to put your eyes on things because we have need of these things, but you tell us in your word, Lord, that you know we have need of these things. But you want us to fix our eyes on you. You want to be the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. You want us to go through this life with peace and comfort and rest. But Lord, with our eyes on the world, we cannot do this. But with our eyes on you, we can. So I pray, Lord, for all of us here today, that we would make a decision to simplify our lives by turning our eyes off of this world, turning our eyes onto your word, and just growing in the knowledge of you. We confess that you are Lord, you are Lord of all, the earth is yours in the fullness thereof. And we just ask that your will would be done in our hearts and in our minds and in our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.